Bright suns and good afternoon, travelers. It is September. It is finally into the Burr months. And if you're wondering why I'm saying finally, it's because I'm I'm from New England. So fall is pretty much a religious experience for us. So welcome to fall. We're almost there. It's the first day of fall is coming up at the end of the month, but it's fall now as far as I'm concerned. So welcome to September. Welcome to fall and welcome to the Bright Suns podcast. The show for pop culture nerds like myself to obsess, dissect, analyze, critique, investigate, get to the gooey center of, and overall celebrate all of the things in the geekdom that we feel like covering Star Wars, Marvel, DC, comic books, video games. It's all good. We're all here to celebrate it. It's all awesome. My name is Mike, and I thank you so much for listening right now. I know there's a lot going on in the world, in America in particular right now. And it's not always the best time to be focusing on, you know, these kind of silly make-believe things, but I'm glad you're here. I'm glad. I hope you guys are all safe out there. I know the East Coast just got hammered with remnants of the storm, and I know, uh, you know, the Gulf region, that, that got decimated by this storm. So I really hope that if you guys are listening, you are safe, happy, healthy, and and you're here, and I appreciate that. Anyway, today, we are actually not talking about Star Wars today. Today, we're going to be talking about that spider guy. Because guess what? The Spider-Man No Way Home trailer finally launched on the internet. And everyone went kind of nuts about it in ways that I didn't expect. I didn't see any of it coming. Well, I should have, but I didn't. And anyway, I have a whole heap load of thoughts and feelings on this. Uh, A whole history of Spider-Man that I want to go over. Anyway, there is so much that I want to get into with not a lot of time to actually cover all of it. So here we go. Episode 3 of the Bright Suns podcast covering Spider-Man. Here we go. So the day finally came. Spider-Man No Way Home, the trailer launched. I hope you guys have all seen it because it looks insane. Oh, I'm so excited about this movie. I I love the MCU Spider-Man. I love I love all the Spider-Man movies. Uh, if you didn't see my tweet, uh, where all Spider-Man is good, all of it is is amazing. But anyway, I've been super excited about the MCU Spider-Man because. I don't, me personally, my personal feelings on the Tom Holland version of Spider-Man is he's kind of, he's, he's my personal favorite out of the three. And, and I know I don't usually like to go into favorites, but you know, I have my reasons and I'm going to stick with them. Tom Holland is a fucking great Spider-Man. <laughs> I will take that to my grave. Okay. I will, I will defend that with every, breath of my body that Tom Holland is an amazing Spider-Man and and Disney and the MCU are doing wonderful things with them. But the, the shocking thing to me was when the trailer launched, I thought as, and I, you know, you've, you've heard me say, I thought something would happen and instead everybody hated it. And I've been, I've been wrong before. (laughs) And I was wrong again because the trailer launched. And this is a thing that like, like 20 minutes before the trailer launched, everybody in the free world loved Spider-Man, loved the MCU Spider-Man. I never heard a bad thing other than the typical kind of, you know, guys who didn't quite get the movie calling him Iron Boy Jr. I heard that for years. I didn't care. I moved on. But by and large, the internet adored Tom Holland and loved Tom Holland up to and including 20 seconds before this trailer launched is, is at least what it feels like. So the trailer launches, everybody sees it, most of the internet starts losing their mind, they're so excited about it, but then, I, I, I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, it seems like everybody's starting to, to jump on the MCU sucks, Sam Raimi is a god among men bandwagon, and 
Don't get me wrong, I love the Sam Raimi trilogy. That will always hold a special place in my heart, but where the fuck did this come from? That's all I want to know. You know, there was, there was no sign of hate right before this trailer launched. This was probably the most exciting and most anticipated trailer that I remember being on, on Twitter for as long as I've been on social media, basically. I, I just, I don't get where it came from. And I'm a little amped up right now, but, <laughs> uh, which means this show is going to go off the rails real quick, but, <laughs> but I just don't get it. I don't. I don't get where it came from. So I really feel like this was this was the time that that really proved that the YouTube hate algorithm, and I, I blame YouTube, but it's really all social media, where the YouTube and social media hate algorithm basically made being a, a toxic sludge monster a, a fucking profitable business, like it always seems to do. And that's so distressing when you're like me and like the people that I talk to on Twitter, we're, we're just trying to have a good time. And these, these assholes come out of nowhere and try to shit all over it. But that's not really what I want to go into in this episode. I don't really want to just, you know, shit on the toxic sludge monsters. As fun as that is, I'm not recording this episode to try to dunk on them. It's, it's more trying to explain some of the things that I don't think a lot of people understood or maybe people didn't get, or just basically go over how each of the the three sets of movies made me feel about Spider-Man and made me feel about, you know, the, the story of Peter Parker and Spider-Man. So I'm going to try to steer away from Toxic Sludge Monsters. I may get back into that when I start talking about the MCU Spider-Man, but that's just because that's where a lot of the ire is focused right now. So I'm really just going to talk about what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man? Now, to me at least, and, and I feel like I've got the backing of Stan Lee on this, but Spider-Man is and always has been a story about the struggles of balancing the kind of responsibility that comes from having some sort of great power and the desire that somebody would have for a normal life. Uh, this is why that with great power comes great responsibility line is so recurrent. It's kind of like the, 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 one of the theses of the, of the whole story. It's, it's basically the point. The, the moral of the story is with great power comes great responsibility. And the story of Peter Parker has always been about that from the beginning. Now, for the, for the sake of this episode, I'm really going to put aside visual styles. And I'm just going to examine kind of story elements and, you know, themes and stuff like that. And we're not going to go into necessarily, you know, uh, why Sam Raimi's trilogy looks different or uh, if, if, the, if the more, you know, traditional comic book campy look worked better. Because that's, that's all subjective. That's, you know, depending on your experience and depending on your preferences, you're going to either love it or hate it. So putting aside... The visual style. Uh, let's let's just start to kind of examine the the stories of the three Spider-Man series. So Sam Raimi's trilogy starts off. Uh, it was really the first Spider-Man, or maybe the first in a long time. I don't know, but it really established the kind of baseline Spider-Man film narrative. You know, young man has great power thrust upon him. Uh, young man struggles with the challenges that that power comes with. At the beginning, it's particularly personal gain versus greater good, justice versus vengeance kind of thing. You know, where he lets the robber go free out of vengeance against the event owner who stiffed him, but that inevitably leads to Ben Parker getting killed. And as the story goes on, the challenge isn't necessarily with great power comes great responsibility, but also with great power, those with similarly great power may rise against you. Uh, almost like in a line, a line from the Avengers is, um, you know, our very power invites challenge. I think Vision said that. And so, you know, Spider-Man is kind of the embodiment of that is as he got stronger, other strong people came to challenge him. Now the story continues with you know, a young man desires the benefits of a normal life, i.e. relationships, but his responsibilities as a superhero require a 
just an immense time investment. And part of that responsibility of of what he has to do with that increased power is he has to keep the people he loves safe. And the way that he can do that is by never letting them know who he is. Because the second, and they explain it very well in the movie, the second that your enemies or Spider-Man's enemies know who Mary Jane is, they know who Harry Osborn are, you know, the the sooner that they know who those people are and that Spider-Man cares about them, they become instant targets. So part of the responsibility of being a superhero is he has to keep them safe and he has to push them away and he has to close off most of himself or else he risks them finding out and it costs him dearly. I mean, obviously for like three movies, he's struggling with, you know, he wants to be with Mary Jane, but he absolutely can't. And then he he has to push her away and then he tries to get with her and then he has to push her away again. And then, you know, in the end, he finally does. But that kind of leads into what the next part of, of all these movies are, is that, you know, young man realizes that heroes don't always get a happy ending. You know, the, the hero story doesn't always just end with he and the girl ride off into the sunset and live happily ever after. A lot of times, especially with Spider-Man, the hero rides off alone and all of his friends hate him or his friends are injured or his friends are dead. At its core, Spider-Man in general, not just Sam Raimi's, but Spider-Man in general is the story of, of struggling to balance a personal life with responsibilities And it's a struggle that everybody has to go through at some point in their life. A lot of young people, mostly, will have to go through this early on in their life. And and some people, me included, struggle with it for years or decades even. You know, young people leaving high school, this is the first time that, you know, they have this, this freedom. And that freedom is a power in itself. They have the freedom to you know, do the things that they need to do. They can go to work. They can go to school choosing which one to do, or they can do none of it. They can just kind of fuck off and do whatever they want. But there are, there are consequences to making these, these choices and there's responsibilities and they want to have the, the good stuff. They want to have the relationships. They want to have the experiences But the responsibility that comes with that freedom that these kids now have as they get out into the real world, that's, that's struggle. That's a, that's a huge thing. And that's why a lot of, a lot of teenagers, when they hit 16, 17, 18, and they start to, you know, start to think about what they're going to do in the real world, they hit what's called a quarter life crisis. And it's, it's not, you know, them examining their own mortality or anything. It's just them really struggling to figure out the the place, their permanent place in the universe. And and that's a, that's a Spider-Man story right there, is how does he fit in what he wants with what he needs to do? And you can even modify the story to, to struggles that apply to uh, later in life and, and older adults, like having a child. You know, you, you have a child and now you have this, this huge responsibility of, of having a child, but you, you know, you have personal and professional goals that you still want to achieve, but you can't, you absolutely cannot fail that child. You cannot fail that responsibility. So this is why Spider-Man is just like infinitely relatable to everybody in every stage of life. This is why Spider-Man is so goddamn important. I, I think at least. He's just every single human being on the face of the planet is at some point in their life going to be Peter Parker. And I just, I think that's phenomenal. And I think Sam Raimi's trilogy did an amazing job bringing that kind of struggle to the big screen for the first time in my life that I remember, you know, seeing this character go through these struggles. I sure I have my complaints about how the film was done, but you know, it, it holds a special place in my heart because it actually came out at around the time that I was starting to really struggle with these kinds of, you know, challenges and these kind of changes in my life. Now, you do have a very distinct portrayal of Peter Parker in the Sam Raimi trilogy. 
Uh, he's very, very boyish, very awkward, pretty socially inept. And as Spider-Man, he's very clean cut, PG kind of good guy. He's got a few quips every so often, but, you know, he's he's very kind of comic book like, like the way he speaks and the way he conducts himself is very much like a standard Spider-Man comic book. And and that's kind of the, the style of the entire you know, trilogy of films anyway. He, you know, really felt like they were going for this pretty faithful adaptation of a comic book movie, but with these themes of change and power and struggles and, and trying to balance those things. Now, skipping forward to the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies, um, Andrew Garfield really introduced a, a very different kind of energy to the character. Um, I, I get not a lot of people liked it because it, it was different. It definitely was different. The Andrew Garfield Peter was definitely much more cool. You know, he was he was very much uh, uh, he was he was a cooler kid. He skateboarded. He didn't try to read poetry to girls as slowly as humanly possible. I'm sorry, Sam Raimi. That scene was just painful. But he was still like just hella awkward. You know, as Spider-Man, he was he was much more quippy and quick-witted. But as Peter, he, you know, he was he was a good Peter. He was a different Peter. And as we all know from uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, there are vastly different Peters out there. So if this one wasn't your style, this is not your Spider-Verse. You know, move on to the next Spider-Verse. But anyway, going back to the story, it's it's another Spider-Man story. Peter had great power thrust upon him, and when presented with an opportunity to do what was right, i.e. stop the robber from, you know, actually, uh, well, I mean, he didn't rob the store, he just kind of shoplifted and stole money out of the drawer, but, like, he still robbed the place. And Peter could have stopped him. He could have alerted, he could have done anything, but he chose because he felt slighted because he wasn't able to buy, you know, his milk for because he was short by two pennies or whatever. He felt slighted. So he let the bad thing happen out of vengeance for that minor slight. Again, this is what got Ben Parker killed. For the rest of the movie, Peter struggles to balance the responsibility of his newfound powers with the desire to have these benefits afforded by a normal life, i.e. a relationship with Gwen Stacy. Now, in this universe, she knows that he's Spider-Man. Like, she finds that shit out really early. And for a time, it kind of seems like maybe Peter Parker can have his cake and eat it too. He can be the Spider-Man that, that his power demands he be, but he can also have this relationship with Gwen Stacy. And it seems like all's going well, you know? But Gwen's father really kind of gets in the way of that. So again, throughout the entire movie, he's, he's trying to balance, you know, keeping Gwen safe, keeping the people that he knows safe, while also, you know, uh, adhering to, to being Spider-Man. He's got this responsibility to everybody to, you know, to do the right thing instead of letting the bad things happen. Like, basically, this entire movie is kind of a Spider-Man what-if episode. Like, it's basically, you know, what if Peter was uh, cool? And what if, uh, you know, his, his love interest uh, knew who he was right away? And what if... You know, you know, these little tiny changes, but it's it's that makes sense because it's literally a different universe than the Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi films. It's, it's a different universe. Now, after Gwen's father's death, he has a lot of guilt because he promised him that he was going to back off of Gwen Stacy. But he so desires to have this relationship that he had with Gwen Stacy that mutually between him and Gwen, they kind of choose to be Spider-Man and in a relationship with Gwen Stacy. It's it's kind of, that part took me a little bit to wrap my head around because it did really kind of feel like a spit into her father's face. But I get that it, it plays into the second movie as well. But I always had a little bit of trouble wrapping my head around that. Oh, well. But he and Gwen pretty much mutually decide to break that promise. And... You know, there's there's valid arguments to be made on either side. But the second film is really where the consequences of breaking that promise happen. So 
unlike in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man films where Mary Jane finds out he's Spider-Man like later on and, you know, at the very end of the third one, he's he's fulfilled by being able to merge Spider-Man and Peter Parker with the best of both sides, really. Uh, Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man loses his love interest in this film, in the second Spider-Man film. And... And again, it's it's like a Spider-Man What If episode. It's it's the slight change between the two, but that's I think that's what makes the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies so interesting is because yes, it's the same Spider-Man story. It's the same struggle between power and responsibility and consequences. And, you know, also the uh the sins of the father kind of play into it a little bit because, you know, he's he's got all of this this baggage with his dad. Stuff that we did not see in the Sam Raimi trilogy, for the most part, at all, I think. So basically, th- the two of them choosing to disobey her father and, you know, carry on with a relationship ultimately leads to Gwen Stacy's death. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, but by now you should have. Uh, so so Gwen Stacy dies, and it's it's a direct result. The, the only way that, you know, would have happened is is if Goblin knew that he cared about Gwen Stacy. So after Gwen Stacy's death, he is, I mean, he is rocked. That just completely shattered him. And, you know, he had had a very hard time with whether he could continue being Spider-Man or not. Whether he could continue even just being Peter Parker. He was kind of this, like, hollow shell. And, I mean, kudos to Andrew Garfield because I think, despite him getting shit on a lot, he is a fucking awesome actor that performance that was in the andrew garfield series of spider-man the amazing spider-man that was some of the best and most well acted like strong emotional like powerful performance in a in a spider-man movie that i'd ever seen at that point actually i i still think it was the most powerful emotional story ever told in a spider-man movie you know the mcu movies have their their promises and their there are things that I like, but, you know, they are what they are. They're MCU action, you know, blow them up kind of movies. These are, uh, you know, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies were comic book kind of campy, fun romps into a comic book universe. But the Andrew Garfield ones were these, like, powerhouse emotional movies. And I, I really like that. So, you know, that there's there's good stuff in everything. There's bad stuff in everything. I like all three. Anyway, getting back to it. Uh, so Andrew Garfield, yes, he played a very, a very, you know, emotional, much more visceral Peter Parker than Tobey Maguire's did. And, and it was great. So continuing on, we are now at the MCU Spider-Man. Like I said earlier, this, this might unfortunately be where I start bringing up the Toxic Sludge Monsters because this is where the Toxic Sludge Monsters uh, like to target their ires at the MCU Spider-Man. And and like I said at the beginning, I just, I don't know where the fuck it came from. Because, like I said, it was like 20 seconds ago that everybody loved the MCU Spider-Man. I never heard a bad thing about it. The trailer was like one of the most anticipated things on the internet since like the Kim Kardashian pictures. Like, these, these things, you know, people were going to die if... The, the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer didn't get launched in 2021, right? Like, people people were going to riot. And now as a reminder, before I really get into the MCU Spider-Man bit, uh, it's perfectly acceptable, if not preferable, to enjoy what you want to enjoy and let others enjoy what they want to enjoy. That's really the whole purpose of this channel, is I want to remind you, it's okay to like anything you want to like. And it's okay to not like anything you want to like, as long as you're not an asshole about it. You don't even have to have a favorite Spider-Man. I don't care. Nobody cares if you have a favorite Spider-Man or not. They're all so good. And we live in this infinitesimally small slice of human history that has Spider-Mans to choose from. (laughs) You know? (laughs) So, thankfully, in the MCU Spider-Man, starting off now finally getting into the actual topic, but starting off in the MCU Spider-Man, Thankfully, they choose to skip over the origin story bits because we don't need to see Benjamin Parker get killed again. We know it happens. We know how it happens. It's it's not going to add anything to the MCU Spider-Man to show Benjamin Parker getting killed. 
And that right away kind of showed, okay, this is going to be a different story. And what I'm, what I'm hoping that I can explain throughout the rest of this bit is that, yes, Spider-Man as a whole is, you know, um, it, it's, it's a story about power and responsibility and all that conflict. The stuff that I've already talked about. But the MCU Spider-Man takes that and then kind of adjusts the focus a little bit to something new. And it's something different in each movie. So that's why I like the MCU Spider-Man so much is not because he's, you know, Tom Holland. He's a very physical actor. He's, he's funny. He's, he's, you know, charismatic. I like the Tom Holland Spider-Man. I think he does a fantastic job, but the stories themselves, they are different enough in each story that I'm getting something that I never got in any of the other Spider-Man movies either the Andrew Garfield or the Tobey Maguire. There's something new in each one. And it's it's a different story. And it's not just about the balance of power and responsibility and and trying to balance, you know, having a personal life with having a professional responsibility. It it it's it's a lot of self act uh oh God, I can't even think of the words that I'm looking for. It's it's a lot of of self-reflection. And a lot of introspection and a lot of, of, you know, who is Spider-Man and what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man and what is he capable of on his own? And that's, that's really what the MCU Spider-Man movies are to me, at least. I mean, other people might have seen other things differently. You know, we all have our own lenses that we view every movie that we ever watch through. So mine are unique to me. But when we're first introduced to the MCU Spider-Man, Tony Stark is seeking him out in Civil War. Now, my personal thoughts are that Tony Stark was not seeking him out to help arrest Captain America. I mean, maybe the thought crossed his mind just based on how strong Spider-Man is. But I honestly think him seeking Spider-Man out was more kind of just a, a thing that he wanted to do because he saw this kid who was truly remarkable without a suit. You know, he he could do these incredible things, these Iron Man level things in a hoodie with these weird glasses on. You know, the the arresting Captain America part would be kind of like a, a happy side effect of, of him finding Spider-Man. But the main goal, I think, was just to help this kid because he saw this, this amazing young man who was so much like, like, a potential to be not just Tony Stark, but better, but he was, he was languishing. He was suffering under the weight of poverty as so many of us are. If we were given, you know, nigh unlimited funds, there are so many of us that would soar, you know, uh, so many of us are, are talented and struggling under the weight of poverty. Anyway, I think he really saw a bit of himself in Peter I think Tony really saw a bit of himself in Peter, and I think he really, he really wanted to help Peter out, especially after Tony's emotional journey that he took in Iron Man 3. And so, you know, a struggle that he had since Iron Man 2 was that the, you know, the suits and, and him were almost two separate identities. I mean, even the Avengers said they wanted Iron Man, but they didn't want Tony. And that really led him to, to wonder, you know, who is Tony Stark without the suit? Uh, was he just a genius billionaire playboy philanthropist or was he Iron Man, suit or no suit? And I, I think that was, the, that was the emotional journey that he went through in Iron Man 3. The emotional journey that led him to discover that he, Tony Stark, is Iron Man, not just the guy who pilots the Iron Man suit. He learns this by, of course, losing the suit and and having to go through that that whole fight without the suit. Now that's starting to sound really familiar, isn't it? So the MCU Spider-Man story is still a young man with great responsibility thrust upon him, but in the MCU we're kept uh, we're catching up with Peter a little bit later after he's already kind of established himself and started down the path towards superheroism. Uh, we don't necessarily need to establish that he's struggling with the balance because A, Civil War is not his movie, and B, he's already kind of a little bit accustomed to that struggle. He's he's only six months in, but that's basically a whole movie right there. That's the whole origin movie was those six months, and we didn't need to see it because we've already seen that twice. 
Now, the traditional Spider-Man story of, you know, trying to balance life between your responsibilities as a superhero and your desire for a normal life takes a bit of a backseat. And it's it's still present, but the main focus really becomes what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man in the first MCU movie, Homecoming. And it's it's a different story. It's an aspect of the traditional Spider-Man story that that's taken straight from the comic books. But in my opinion, it wasn't really covered that well in the previous films. The previous films were very much just about the dichotomies between these two personalities that he has, basically. The the Spider-Man personality and the Peter Parker personality and the lives that each of those people have and the responsibilities that each of those people has to themselves and to others. In this story, yes, he's still trying to balance those two lives, those two people, but the Spider-Man role, he's he's still trying to figure out who that person is and and why that person is special and, and who that person was meant to be. And the reason why this story takes place after Civil War is so that the suit, the main thing preventing Spider-Man from truly recognizing his own abilities, can be present. They could have done an origin story. Sure, why not? I'm glad they didn't, but... They needed that suit to be there because that's that's the key of the story. The people that are calling him Iron Boy Jr. do not seem to understand that that him growing out of the Iron Boy kind of mentality was the entire point of the story. Now, yes, the Stark suit is remarkable and maybe a bit overpowered for like the whole friendly neighborhood Spider-Man bit. But that's the point. That's intentional. And the training wheels protocol, well, might have been maybe a little too infantilizing, but it was meant to slowly provide Peter additional tools as he kind of discovered who he was. You know, it wasn't he wasn't getting everything right off the bat. He was, you know, giving uh, Tony wanted Peter Parker to take time to develop who he was, to really go on that Iron Man 3 journey but while also keeping him safe. Now that's the fight that Tony has to has to fight with with Spider-Man is how do I you know uh guide this young man on this journey of self-actualization but also keep him safe. Because he is, you know, he had no choice. This happened to him. He has these amazing abilities. He can't turn back from it now. It's it's it he had no choice. But With these powers, he has a responsibility to the entire world now. Tony is really the one that's kind of focusing on that that part of the Spider-Man story. And he's also struggling with his own balance of how how do I guide him down this way while also keeping him safe? How do I put a shield around around Peter Parker? You know, a suit of armor around Peter Parker. Ah, that's it. I'll put a suit of armor around Peter Parker. So he makes him the amazing Stark suit. Now, you know, you can you can make of this what you will. I think, you know, it was intentional, but that's the wrong approach for a couple of reasons. So, you know, uh, this isn't how Tony discovered himself. Tony was stripped of everything and he had to be a superhero without a suit. And and let's not forget that teenagers like Peter Parker are notoriously impatient and impulsive. Combine that with Peter's and his friends at that special school, their extremely high IQ and friends that are good with tech. And, and you know, futzing around with the suit was bound to happen. I, I you know, I think Tony maybe knew it was going to happen. And maybe he knew that at some point he was going to take the suit away. Who knows? I don't think Tony planned that far ahead. Tony's not like that kind of guy in my opinion, but whatever. It happened. That's what needed to happen for this film. But Tony didn't take the suit away because Peter and and you know Ned, uh, I think his name's Ned. They, they they messed around with the suit. That's not why he took it away. My guess is with all the tech, he knew the second it was hacked. And You know, Peter went through a lot of the course anyway when he was locked up in that storage lockup. But the reason Tony took the suit away is Tony never wanted Peter taking on more than he could handle. In part because he worried about Peter's safety, but also because he didn't want Peter to to kind of rely on the suit. He didn't want the suit to really obscure the border of what 
is capable, you know, what, what Peter's capable of versus what Spider-Man in the suit is capable of. You know, it's, it's a hard thing to describe, but he didn't want him to become reliant on the suit. Now, Tony knows in his heart that Peter, suitless, is capable of so much more than Tony could ever be. And he even says this when, when Peter tells him, you know, I, I wanted to be like you. Tony says, and I wanted you to be better. So he realizes there that he needs to take the suit away. Well, I mean, it's really, it's after Peter said, no, don't take the suit away. I'm nothing without the suit. And Tony, of course, says, if you're nothing without the suit, then you shouldn't have it. And that's, that is, that right there, that line, there's always a line in every movie where somebody says, like, the thesis of the movie. And that's, that's it right there. If you're nothing without the suit, then you shouldn't have it. Tony's frustrated because Peter only sees himself as a superhero because of the Stark suit. And Tony knows that's wrong. Tony knows that he is a superhero because, goddammit, he's got the fucking heart of a superhero in him. And he's got these, these amazing abilities to do wonderful Avengers-level things. And, and all Peter can focus on is the suit and, and you know, his own, his own kind of thing. You know, he's going to learn. Being a superhero is hard, and it involves a lot of sacrifice. And Tony learned that. Now it's time for Peter to learn that. And, I mean, another lesson that that obviously shows that that Peter's a little bit further along in his story than, uh, you know, the, the Sam Raimi and Andrew Garfield ones is, you know, when he, when he says to Tony in Civil War, when you can do the things that I can, but you don't, and then the bad things happen, they happen because of you. I mean, that's, that's straight up the lesson learned from the previous two sets of films, summed up in a sentence. And that's, that's kind of the new, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. So Peter already knows that part. That part's already ingrained in his head. What he needs to learn is, is who is the one that has the power? Who is the one that has the responsibility? Is it him or is it the suit? Is he acting on his own, of his own agency, or is he Iron Boy Jr.? And he needs that Iron Man, you know, backup. Is he a sidekick or is he a main fucking character? That's the whole emotional journey of this movie. Long story short, the rest of the movie, he doesn't have his Stark suit. He has the hoodie. He has the weird goggles. He has his, his you know, tight pants. And he still saves the day. He still wins. He still beats Vulture. And he, you know, he saves Vulture's life. He still saves the day as Peter Parker in a hoodie. And that's really his I'm Spider-Man bit. You know, I am Spider-Man. And the end scene of the movie, when Tony offers him the Iron Spider suit and he turns it down, he's basically telling Tony, I've learned that the suit is not what makes me me. It's not what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man. So, you know, thank you for the suit, but there's still a lot that I need to learn, and I can only learn kind of on the ground level. And he knows that if he takes that suit, he's he's Avengers level. He's he's handling things much bigger than himself, and he's still, still got to kind of get used to the idea of him being in charge of his own destiny. Him being his own main character, you know? So now we're on to Spider-Man Far From Home. And I realize that I'm spending a lot more time on the MCU than I did on, on the Sam Raimi and, and Andrew Garfield bits. But that's because I'm not seeing the same level of hate for those two sets than I am for MCU. And maybe that's just my weird timeline. Maybe I need to work on my timeline on, on social media. But people just... I see so much stuff that's just not... Not how I saw these movies, and I don't get how other people didn't. And maybe they need someone like me to just come in and, and talk about what I felt with these movies. So that's why I'm spending more time on these movies. So if you're not a huge MCU fan, I'm really sorry. I love all three. Don't get me wrong. But I just I want to focus on the MCU for right now because No Way Home's coming. So that's what I want to focus on. So right off the bat, in Far From Home, they establish the the conflict Peter is having. The entire world is pressuring him to be the next Iron Man. But he's not. He's not Tony Stark. 
maybe there's like a little bit of like imposter syndrome in there where he's not mentally ready to accept that he's as strong as he is and take up the mantle of Defender of Earth, at least not without Tony Stark. So where the first movie really set up who Spider-Man is, what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man, is it the suit or is it him? Is it what what's inside or is it what he's given? This movie really sets up how much can he do on his own and how much can he do without backup? And is he ready to kind of, you know, take that leap, so to speak, and, and, and to, you know, go out there with no, with no safety net? He has no Iron Man safety net. You know, sure, he's capable. And sure, there's a massive, crazy big threat on there. But can he handle that without an Avenger, like an actual factual Avenger? I know he was knighted as an Avenger in, in you know, Infinity War, but, you know, he, he got dusted and he got taken out for five years and he, he, he showed up at the beginning and he showed up at the end. That was basically it. And so maybe he feels a little bit like, you know, people see that I was there and that I'm, I'm a superhero, but he doesn't feel that way, you know? He still feels like he needs the support of Tony Stark and and... The world is putting that pressure on him to be that person. And this is a lot like the expectation that every young person goes through as they enter adulthood, especially if they're, they're, you know, their folks are, are people that are well known in the community or famous even. You know, they get out into the real world and people have these huge expectations of what they should be doing and what they need to be doing. And maybe you don't feel like you're ready just yet. That's again, what makes this character so relatable. He's still feeling like he's not yet ready to be the hero the world expects him to be. And also, Tony really stressed that he wanted Peter to be better than him, but the world wants him to be Tony. There's kind of kind of a conflict with that as well. So, you know, he, he meets Mysterio, and he immediately sees this potential safety net. And he just fucking goes for it, like full bore into it. Here's Edith. Here you go. Take control of everything because I'm not ready to have that much responsibility. I'm not ready to be the Iron Man level hero that these people expect me to be. I, I can't. He doesn't think that he is. So the second he sees somebody that's kind of got that confidence to be that and, and the obvious ability or, you know, it's a fake ability, but, you know, the obvious ability then, you know, he just runs for it. He sees a potential Iron Man and he just hands over the store. And obviously this turns out to be a very bad idea. And, and you know, he discovers that Mysterio is a bad person and it's, it's not what he should have done. Now that responsibility falls back on him. The responsibility to take back, to undo the damage he did. So now, whether he's ready or not, He's got to take on an Avengers level threat, which is not the giant monster thing that is the illusion. It's Mysterio himself. Now, I see a lot online, a lot of comments that are saying, but the only reason he beat Mysterio is because he made himself a new Stark suit. Okay, but if you actually watch the film, and I know that's, that's me being kind of a snarky asshole, but if you actually watch the film, he doesn't beat Mysterio by you know, uh, using some high-tech gadget in his new Stark suit. It's not by taking over the drones uh, provided by Stark Industries and turning them against Mysterio. It's, it's nothing like that. He closes his eyes and relies solely on what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man, his heightened senses, his strength, and his, his instincts, to take down an Avengers-level threat, which proves to him, and only him, and, and that's all he needed that he is and always has been the guy that he feels he needed for himself. You know, this has nothing to do with the suit. The suit. He could have, honestly, Peter could have beat Mysterio naked. All right, he still would have won. It didn't matter that he was wearing a new Stark suit. And he proved to himself that he he's not just, you know, potentially the next Iron Man. He's something different. He is himself. He's better. He's strong enough to handle whatever the world needs him to be. And that, that, was, that was the thing from the movie. That was the whole point of the movie. It was just telling him that he is strong enough to handle these things. Which, you know, that brings us to what can we expect from No Way Home? If each of these movies has this kind of 
core idea that it wants to uh, get across, you know, what is the core idea going to be from No Way Home? And, you know, that's that's pretty much impossible to say right now, but, you know, I can make educated guesses. Now, the fact that he's wishing that no one knows who he is could be setting up kind of the classic Spider-Man struggle of balancing responsibilities as a hero with the desire to have a normal life, something that is just vastly easier if no one knows who you are. You know, like collateral damage. Who knows? MJ might die. MJ might not die. But the fact that that's the story that they're kind of going with and, and kind of the, uh, the thing that kicks off all the action is that wish, that's a potential that that could be what the story focuses on. I, I don't think that's going to be the case. Because in all of these other movies, they've kind of, they haven't really focused on that story because that story, that, that was the six months before uh, Civil War, you know? That story already happened in the MCU. We just didn't see it. And since this isn't a prequel, uh, we don't need to see that. What I think is if they do decide to bring in the other Spider-Men, which it kind of looks like they will because they're bringing in Doc Ock, at the very least, I feel like they're going to bring in Tobey Maguire. You know, they didn't, they didn't confirm in the trailer or anything, but if they're bringing in Green Goblin and... Uh, Doc Ock, and they have all the stuff from the the Sam Raimi universe. At the very least, they're going to they're going to bring in Tobey Maguire. Now, I think if they're going to go that route, the the struggle that he could be facing in No Way Home isn't you know balance of power and responsibility or whatever. It could be okay. He is capable of handling Avengers level threats, but technically, so is Tobey Maguire. So is Andrew Garfield. At this point in their careers, in whatever multiverse they're in, most likely they are capable. They have gone through these same kind of struggles. Now, the story is really, what makes him unique? What makes him his version of Spider-Man? What makes the MCU Spider-Man not better, not worse, but special? You know, it's not, it's not about making anybody better or worse than anybody. I think with this one, it's, it's what makes him who he is and what makes him unique among other spider people. You know, we learned what we're capable of. We're learned that we can be the, the person the world needs us to be, but there are thousands of other people who are pretty similar to you and have similar skills and backgrounds. But, you know, and, and this is all again, going back to the, the, how relatable Spider-Man is as a character you know, us getting out into the real world. You know, we've we've maybe gone through a bit of, uh, of a struggle ourselves and we've determined that, you know, we've, we've figured out how to do the balance. We've figured out who we are as these individual people of our personal lives and professional lives. And we figured out that we are capable of doing more than we thought we were previously. But now we are facing, you know, this this reality of, okay, there's there are thousands of people like me. Like right now, just doing this podcast is like a Spider-Man story, okay? There are thousands of podcasts that are not only doing much better than I am, they've gone through like the growing pains of, of establishing their, their audience and, and their voice and their, their tone and everything like that. So now me, if I was at that same level, what makes me different? What makes me special? Not better, not worse, just different and unique. And what is my place in the larger picture of things, the grandest of grand scheme, you know? So I really think that that, that is where the next Spider-Man movie is going to go. It's not going to, you know, rehash the same story because the MCU Spider-Man doesn't really seem to be about that. It really seems to be about these more internal struggles and, and these more kind of existential uh, you know, identity crises. And, and there's no way better to trigger and solve an identity crisis than by having multiple spider people running around. So I really think that's going to be where they take the movie and where the struggle is going to be is what makes Tom Holland Spider-Man unique and special and different. And maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe the movie will be terrible. Maybe it'll be the best thing better than Endgame. Who knows? Only time will tell 
I am super excited to see it. I really hope you guys are. And that's that's going to be all the time I'm going to take from you guys today. I really hope you guys had a good time talking with me about this and, and that uh, I didn't just dump my brain on you in like the worst way possible. If you're still listening, thank you so much. <laughs> you know, oh, making it all this way through the entire podcast as I just basically yelled at you about Spider-Man. I applaud you. I very much applaud you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for for coming back to the show every week. Uh, I really do appreciate it. You guys are the best. If you want to follow me on social media, uh, I'm pretty much everywhere at Bright Suns Media. And uh, I've set up support links. You can find them on uh, the Linktree icon or the Linktree link on my Twitter page. You can support the show. Uh, I, you know, it's very early. I get it. You probably want to know more about how I'm going to make these episodes before you choose to support me. I understand. I'm just saying would be nice. couple bucks just because uh, comic books are expensive. <laughs> and I want to start talking about High Republic. And uh, yeah, I, you know, four bucks a whack and I'm, I'm so far behind. I, I need, I need, I need that cash. Um, anyway, I'm not going to go into that because that's, that's not really what I want to focus on in this show. If you choose to support me, I I love you. I appreciate you. You guys are the best. If not, and you just choose to listen, I love you. I appreciate you. And you guys are the best. Anyway, thank you so much for coming back. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, this has been the Bright Suns Podcast. Have a fantastic day, everyone. And have a great night. Thank you. Thank you.